0: Welcome to Season 5, Episode 11 of They Walk Among Us, a podcast dedicated to UK true crime. This episode contains distressing themes and descriptions of violence. This podcast is intended for a mature audience. Listener caution is advised. When you choose a partner in life, you take on their family too. Ideally, you get on and you live in harmony. Some people invite their in-laws into their homes with open arms, unaware that their new family member has left behind a murderous past. Stilu Christofi was born in Cyprus during 1900, at a time when the country, an island in the eastern Mediterranean, was a dependent territory of Britain. Although a paper trail cannot be found, it is reported Stilu was married at 14, not unusual for the small village where she lived, nor was it rare during that period. She did not receive an education, ...and Stilu Christofi remained illiterate her entire life. Her husband was known to be one of the poorest men in the village. He owned a small olive grove where Stilu worked. In spite of the physical demands of the job... ...the financial rewards were small... ...and they scrimped by. The couple would go on to have five children... And when their only son Stavros was born, they hoped as he grew older, he would honour tradition and help provide for the family. Stilu's son Stavros left the village to find work in the capital of Cyprus, Nicosia. By the late 1930s he had saved up enough money to afford passage to England, settling in London. During World War II, a young man with service industry experience was a rare find. He was well-liked and hard-working. Stavros was steadily promoted, working in restaurants throughout London and at one point was even employed as a wine waiter at the popular upmarket club Café du Paris in the West End. The venue welcomed performers like Marlene Dietrich later playing host to Frank Sinatra and Judy Garland. The club opened in 1924 and still stands to this day, although it remained closed for eight years when the building was bombed in 1941. Café du Paris had been a casualty of World War II like many of the diners inside. The explosion took the lives of around 35 people and injured countless more. It wasn't long before a German model, Hella Dorothea Bleicher, caught the eye of Stavros and he caught hers as he waited on Hella's table. She had arrived in London shortly before the outbreak of the Second World War. The pair quickly fell in love and in 1942 were married. They built a life together in a desirable part of London, Number 11 South Hill Park in Hampstead. Three children followed, with Hella splitting her time between working in a clothes shop and taking care of the children. Stavros had not seen his mother since he left home almost 15 years earlier. Stilu had not met Hella or her grandchildren. In 1953, wanting to leave the olive grove that was becoming ever more barren as the years went on, Stilu Christoffi came to England to visit her son and his family. The plan was for Stilu to work in London long enough to be able to set herself up for retirement before returning home to Cyprus with some savings and money to buy a property. Stilu moved into the couple's flat, already a cosy fit with five occupants. The idea did not seem problematic at first, but it would soon prove otherwise. The smog and hustle and bustle of 1950s London was worlds away from the village life Stilu was used to. A son seemed more at home in England. He hadn't seen his mother in over a decade and he had forged a new life with Hella and their children. Stavros and his wife Hella communicated in English. Stavros and his mother Stilu spoke in Greek. With Hella not being fluent in Greek nor Stilu in German or English, the two women found it hard, nigh on impossible, to talk to each other without Stavros interpreting. Because he was out working often at night through to the early hours, the women were in close confines with a considerable language barrier between them. Stavros had bucked tradition. He had moved to London and didn't become part of the Cypriot community when he arrived. Instead Stavros had adapted to the London way of life and much to his mother's disappointment his wife was German, not Cypriot. Stilou didn't fit in and she vehemently disagreed with how her son and daughter-in-law were raising their children. Ella was the one who faced the brunt of her mother-in-law's frustrations. The children's grandmother believed they were being spoiled. Stilou's frequent outbursts in Greek had to be relayed to Hella, and in time it became too much. At first Stavros found his mother a place to stay with some friends in London. However, they found Stilu to be so unpleasant she was told to move out. She returned to live with her son and his family, but the rows continued. With Stilu accusing her daughter-in-law of squandering the family’s money on makeup and clothing. The home had become a place of hostility, and by July 1954, Ella, at the end of her tether, came to her husband with an ultimatum. If Stilu didn’t move out, Ella would take the three children back to her native Germany and not return until her mother-in-law had made alternative arrangements. In such close quarters, the flat afforded little privacy, and Stilou could easily eavesdrop on the conversation. She had been living at the property for around 11 months. By this time, she had picked up just enough English to decipher the gist of the conversation. The word Germany in Greek is said Germania, close enough to the English pronunciation. From her son's tone, it was easy to gather he was taking the side of his wife and children. Perhaps Stilu felt her son was going to leave his past and his mother behind. That evening, Stilu and Hella were left alone. It was around 8.30pm. Stavros had gone to work and the children were asleep in bed. If Hella had known of her mother-in-law's murky past, perhaps she would never have agreed to be alone with her. Three decades earlier, on September 29, 1924, a barbaric murder occurred in Stilu's village. In an act resembling something close to medieval torture, Stilu Christophe's mother-in-law Maria met an awful end. Stilou, her sister-in-law and a neighbour beat the woman in her own home and it was understood while the victim was held down. Stilou ended her mother-in-law's life by forcing a flaming torch into her mouth. Crime author Stefanos Evangelides uncovered a letter written to a family member informing them of Maria's unnatural demise. An extract read, They took burning pieces of wood and put them in her mouth and down her throat. It is thought the murder was retribution for another. Stilou's mother-in-law was said to have murdered her husband with the help of her lover, some years before in 1911. It was rumoured the culprits could have been selected by other family members to carry out the task as revenge for the killing and bringing shame on the family. Acts of retribution would often go unpunished in those small villages, as a way of evening the scale. People often turned a blind eye. The three women did go to trial for the murder. However, the trio walked free, each all unwilling to admit their part, or implicate one another. With the knowledge that his wife killed his mother, Stilu’s husband left her and the children. On July 29, 1954, like almost every other night since she had moved to London, Stilou was alone with Hella. It was assumed that Hella went to the bathroom to go and wash. Unbeknownst to her, her mother in law had slowly lifted up the cast iron ash plate from the cooker in the kitchen. Hella was struck on the back of the head. The blow was forceful enough to fracture her skull. While Hella was unconscious and now on the ground, Stilou somehow managed to drag her daughter-in-law into the kitchen. With a scarf, she strangled Hella to death. Stilou had pulled the material so tight that she couldn't remove it with ease. Eventually, the fabric had to be cut off. Stilou Christoffi hadn't finished with her daughter-in-law just yet. She prized the wedding ring off Hela's limp finger and then she moved Hela's lifeless body to the step near the doorway in the back garden. Stilu got a small canister of paraffin from inside the house and just like the murder of her mother-in-law decades earlier, Stilu used fire to burn the body of her victim. Once lit with an accelerant, the flames grew out of control. So much so, Stilou Christofi panicked. Ella's body was burning close to the house, and the children were asleep inside, oblivious to what had just happened to their mother. Stilou ran out of the front door, catching the attention of a couple, a Mr. and Mrs. Burstoff. They were travelling home after closing their restaurant for the night. Stilou Christofi searched for the words in English. Please come, fire burning, children sleeping. Moments earlier, a neighbour to Stavros and his wife Hella, John Young, witnessed the fire being lit. Still, he never comprehended that it was a human body being burned. Young, who lived a couple of doors down, was passing the fenced-off garden near midnight to take his dog for one last bathroom break before bed. Plumes of smoke circled above the terrace, and an odour of wax permeated Young's nostrils. As he approached the fence, he peered through and saw the person he knew to be Stavros Kristoff's mother, Stilu. She was crouching down, stoking a fire. Young thought this odd given the late hour. From his viewpoint, he could see newspapers and what appeared to be in the late evening's dim light, either a tailor's dummy or, from the scent, a wax mannequin. He could see it only from the thighs down. He later said, The arms were raised back and bent at the elbow, like some of the models you see in shop windows. Not thinking anything was wrong, and Stilu was just burning some unwanted items, John Young returned home after walking his dog. When the fire got out of control approximately an hour later, the fire brigade were called after Stilu Kristoffi accosted the Burstoffs on their way back home they saw the fire and sought to contact the fire brigade. The flames had not been ferocious enough to dispose of Halla's body. She was only partially burned, but covered in blood. Confronted with the unpleasant sight of a human on a small bonfire, upon arrival a fireman immediately contacted the police as undoubtedly whoever was dead had met their end at the hands of someone else. The ground floor flat was now a murder scene, and evidence was gathered from police officers and a pathologist. It was less than a day before Stilu Christofi was arrested. Upon being charged, the interpreter translated her response I did not make use of any petrol but some few days previously some petrol spilled on the floor. I did not pay attention to it. I stepped on it, and the smell was probably a result of that petrol. From this story, I know nothing more. Stilu denied killing Hella, and told the police she had seen two men in suits running away minutes before she discovered her daughter-in-law was overcome by the flames. During the search of the Kristoffi's home, a curious object was found in Stilu's room. Behind an ornament on a chest of drawers was something wrapped in tissue. It was Hella's wedding ring. When police questioned Stilu about the discovery, she said she had found it in the house and simply assumed it was a curtain ring. However, when he spoke with detectives... Stavros contradicted this by telling officers that his wife's ring was a tight-fitting band. It would not simply slide off. Stilu Christofi's counsel and even her own son wanted her to put forward a defence of insanity to avoid the death penalty. The idea was suggested to her through a translator However, they used the word crazy. Stilu recoiled at the idea that she might be seen as mad. There was a stigma around mental health and Stilu was too proud to consider such a defence that might save her from the gallows. She said, I am poor and illiterate, but I'm not mad. Five days later, on August 5th, Stilu Christofi appeared at a court hearing to face a charge of murder. Her barrister, Mr. Rustomji, told the judge, "'I appear for this poor, unfortunate, illiterate woman who is a stranger in our midst. "'She is a native of Cyprus. "'We would like the hearing fixed as soon as possible "'so that she can be relieved of all anxiety and suspense.'" Rustomji also put forward a request for legal aid, as his client had no means to pay for legal services. He said, My instructions are that the grandmother is destitute and has no resources at all. She is a stranger in a strange country. The application was granted. At a further court appearance later that month, Stilou's counsel said she was innocent and absolutely bewildered by the proceedings. However, some evidence was put forward by director of the Metropolitan Police Laboratory. Stillu Christoffi's shoes, the pair she was wearing on the night her daughter-in-law died, were presented to the court. They were covered in blood, and an odour of paraffin was clearly apparent on the soles, where it had been stepped in and absorbed. Also, an attempt had been made to clean up a large amount of blood in the kitchen. A pathologist who attended the scene said the victim had an uneven distribution of the effects of severe heat on her body and the smell of paraffin was strong. As expected, Stilu Christoffi was told she would remain in custody until the trial, which would be held at the Central Criminal Court in London. What's more, all of Centair's more than 60 fragrances are phthalate free, cruelty free, safe for families, and ecovadis certified sustainable. Differentiate your space with Scent. Try luxury home fragrance trusted by the pros by going to centair.com and using promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order. That's promo code Among Us for an extra 25% off your first order at centair.com. The trial started in late October and was short for such a violent murder, and only a few days. Stavros Christofi told the court he had returned home to the flat as the police were there. He later found out his 36-year-old wife Hela had been murdered by his mother. Stavros said there was a conflict between the two women and he was hoping to give his mother enough money to be able to comfortably move back to Cyprus. He felt that the winter in the UK would be bad for her health. She would be more comfortable living in a warmer climate. Juras visited the scene of the crime. Two jury bailiffs were entrusted with taking them there in a police coach. The judge told them, You are to take the jury to the house and they are going to make their own investigations. No one is to speak to them. The evidence was stacked against the defendant. There was Hella's wedding ring, hidden in Stilu's room wrapped in tissue. And the neighbour John Young witnessed Stilu stoking the fire, burning what he thought at the time was some sort of mannequin. He told the court, I couldn't see the head, but the legs were pointing out. Young relayed what he did after looking through a gap in the fence. I left after I saw somebody I recognised. I thought all was in order, and I returned to my house. The prosecutor, Mr Claxton, expanded on what John Young said. Quite, there was a light on in the kitchen, and he saw Mrs Christoffi cross the kitchen and go to the French windows leading into the area, where she hesitated for a moment, and then stepped into the area and bent over what we know to be this burning body. The prosecutor explained that the scarf used to strangle Hella Christoffi was found partially burnt in the fire. The item of clothing was thought to belong to one of Stavros and Hella's sons. A statement Stiller had given to the police after her arrest, translated from Greek, was recounted to the court. It read in part, I came to this country in July 1953 and lived with my son and wife for a little while, but owing to the language difficulty we didn't get along very well together and I went to live elsewhere for about two months. I then returned to my son's house and had been away on two more occasions owing to the same difficulty. I have been with my son Stavros for about three or four months and have been getting along much better with my daughter-in-law for the last week or two. Stilu Christophe's testimony was translated. She denied the murder of her daughter-in-law Hella, and said that night she was only alerted to something being wrong when she saw flames in the back garden. Stilu said she had been in bed up to this point. She claimed that Hella had said she was going to stay up to wash some clothes. Stilu told the court that she recalled seeing two men just a few minutes earlier wearing suits and carrying suitcases into the garden. After she noticed the flame she saw the men running down the street. The front door had been left open. Putting forward her version of the events and describing how she found the body of her daughter-in-law, Stilu Christoffi said, I saw little flames around her ankles around the knees, on both arms, and the back of the head. Her face was covered in blood. I put some water in a bowl and splashed it over her with my hand. I called her by name and touched her face and hand. Then I got some more water and threw it over her. When I touched Hella's face, some blood and other stuff stuck to my fingers. But this washed off when I splashed water over her it seemed i could not do anything soon after hearing stillus evidence the jury of 10 men and 2 women retired to make their decision jurors took just 1 hour and 55 minutes mr justice devlin had advised them before reaching a verdict that if the jury felt there was a reasonable possibility that hella was murdered not by her mother in law, but by someone else. If they thought the two men escaping the scene weren't just a figment of the defendant's imagination, they should find Stilu Christoffi not guilty. Stilu was of an age where she had lived through two world wars and the Spanish flu, even avoiding the death penalty for the murder of her mother-in-law. She wouldn't be so lucky this time. The judge donned his black cap and sentenced Stilu Christofi to hang The date for the execution was set for December 15th. Enough time for a group of 10 MPs to petition the decision to send a woman to the gallows. They believe Stilu Christofi was not of sound mind when she committed the murder. A medical report dated October 5th, 1954 from a Dr. Thomas Christie at Holloway Prison where Stilu was incarcerated before the trial said that she was so deranged she did not know what she was doing when she strangled her daughter-in-law. To ensure a fair trial, the jury were not made aware that Stilu Christoffi had taken part in the violent death of her mother-in-law during 1925, until after the legal proceedings had ended. Stilu put forward an appeal against her conviction, however it was rejected by the Court of Criminal Appeal on November 29th. She did not attend the hearing, which lasted for just under five minutes. Dilu Christofi, prisoner 8034, was to be hanged at Holloway Prison on December 15th, 1954, the second-to-last woman to be sentenced to death by hanging in the UK. The executioner was to be Albert Pierpoint. Pierpoint was a famous, if not notorious, chief executioner. In the years since World War II, he was in high demand. Pierpoint even travelled to countries in Europe to execute war criminals. Although an exact figure has never been ascertained, it is believed Albert Pierpoint hung up to 600 people. These included Rillington Place murderer John Christie and the acid bath killer John Haig. Pierpoint calculated with precision the drop height required for Stillu Christoffi. She was petite in stature at 117 pounds and under 5 feet tall. Pierpoint concluded that she would have to hang from a height of 8 feet 4 inches. A crowd of over 100 people waited outside Holloway Prison to watch the notice be pinned on the door to tell the outside world the execution had gone ahead. At 9.20am they got the confirmation they had been waiting for. A piece of paper pinned to the door was both signed by the prison governor and the chaplain. Stilu Christofi had been hanged on the grounds of Holloway. The news was significant. A woman had not been hanged in Britain since around a year and a half earlier. When Louisa Merrifield was executed in Strange Ways, a prison in Manchester. Before Steele Christoffi, a female, had not been hanged in London since 1923, when Edith Thompson met her end for her part in her husband Percy Thompson's murder. Still's last wish was to put a cross on the wall of the chamber where they executed her. Her wish was honored and the cross remained on the wall for many years to come. The MPs that were against the hanging of Stilu Christofi because they believed she was, quote, insane, wrote to the Home Secretary the day after her death to voice their profound disquiet that the execution was not stopped. Part of a prison report by Dr. Thomas Christie who monitored Stilu in Holloway was published by the press. It read, The clinical picture is that of a non-systematised delusional mental disorder. This is a recognised disease of the mind. In my opinion the fear her grandchildren would not be brought up properly induced a defect of reason due to the above disease of the mind whereby she was incapable of knowing what she did was wrong. A further extract read, In my opinion she is insane, but is medically fit to plead and to stand trial. Dr Christie signed Stilu Christoffi's death certificate. This evidence was not submitted at the trial, as there was no insanity plea put forward. The jury were unaware of its existence. The group of MPs wanted to use this report when visiting the Home Secretary, looking for a reprieve for Stilu Christofi. But in an unprecedented move, they were refused a meeting. So, where are we now? In the early 1970s, Holloway Prison underwent an extensive redevelopment. The bodies of all women executed on the grounds were exhumed. With the remains of four other women, Stilu Christoffie's body was consequently reburied in a single plot which remained unmarked for over two decades, before a grey granite memorial was placed in Brookwood Cemetery, Surrey a single grave marking the memory of the four women buried there. A fifth woman, Ruth Ellis, was buried elsewhere due to her notoriety. Both Stilu Christofi and Ruth Ellis were hanged at Holloway. It was likely the last thing Ruth Ellis saw was the cross that Stilu had asked to be placed on the wall before she died. There was not the only sad similarity between the last two women to be hung in England. Ruth Ellis, who shot and killed her lover David Blackley outside a pub, did so at the Magdala, which is located on South Hill Park in Hampstead, the same street where Stilu Christofi had killed her daughter-in-law six months earlier. The Magdala pub has since closed, but as recently as 2019, there were reportedly plans to reopen it. Albert Pierpoint retired from his job just two years after the execution of Stilu Christofi. His compelling yet macabre career kept the interest of the public. And in 2005, Timothy Spall took the title role of Pierpoint in a film based on his life. Numerous books and documentaries were made about him, and in 2019 a unique lot of items belonging to the late hangman were put up for auction, including a plaster cast made of his hands and face. An unnamed buyer spent £20,000 on Pierpoint's small leather journal listing the names, ages, weights and calculations of the convicted people he executed. In 2019, Stavros Christofi's son Toby appeared on a series for BBC television called Murder, Mystery and My Family. He had questions about what actually happened to his grandmother, whether her trial was fair, and if she was guilty. He had grave concerns about the bias in the press. The investigation and subsequent court proceedings were impaired by the language barrier, and there were questions surrounding his grandmother's refusal to submit an insanity plea. Experts helped Toby Christoffi discover what happened in the aftermath of Stilu's arrest, her trial and her history. It was revealed to him for the first time that she had murdered his great-grandmother who was in turn a murderer, killing his great-grandfather to be with her lover. Legal experts combed through the evidence to review the safety of Stilu Christoffi's conviction. Their findings, as reported by the BBC, were that psychologists now using modern methods were in agreement that Stili Christoffi was mentally impaired, so should not have been sentenced to death. They also reported that, quote, Mrs Christoffi was deprived of the opportunity to advance the proper defence in the course of her trial, thus almost inevitably resulting in her being convicted of murder and the death penalty being imposed. Thank you for listening, and a special thanks to everyone who supports us on Patreon. For more information on this episode... Please see the show notes or visit our website, theywalkamonguspodcast.com. dot